Welcome to Liberty Monks Podcast. James Mundy here with Mike Mundy. How are you tonight, Brother Mike? Never better, sir. How are you today? Excellent. I am I am very much looking forward to introducing our guest for this evening. Dr. Julia Engel is a former University of Washington assistant professor in the Department of Radiology. Uh, and she drastically changed the course of her life in 1992. You sold a uh, doctor, you sold a successful diagnostic and ultrasound practice in, in Washington, and you yes. established the, the Miramed Institute, right? Yes. Um, and a non, which is a nonprofit organization that really sought to improve obstetric care in Russia, advancing human rights for women and children. And God knows we need that right now more than ever. Um, and you went on to co-found Angel Coalition, which was a, as an underground railroad that rescued thousands of trafficking victims um, just throughout the former USSR, right? And, um, Correct, yeah. And Dr. Engel, you are also an MK Ultra survivor, and you have written about your experiences um, uh, with, um, with mind control and, and your memoir. The first memoir is Sparky, uh, Surviving Sex Magic, and you had a subsequent work in Russia um, in Angels Over Moscow. So, uh, hopefully I didn't miss anything, but uh, doctor, welcome to Liberty Monks. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, it's certainly glad to see your smiling face. And, um, <laughs> you know, we met in, uh, just uh, not that long ago, maybe what, a week or so ago yeah. uh, in Louisiana. And you had a speech that just floored us um, in so many ways. I can't even tell you not only from your personal testimony of what you went through as a child um, and just how that just evolved your life to where you are now, but also that other people are going through something similar or the same, which was really hard to even just comprehend. Um, but that's why we wanted to have you on so that you could share this important information with people. Um, so we just, we just, again, thank you so much for being here. You're welcome. Glad to be here. Um, if you don't mind, I'd love to start with um, this this uh, this acronym or this MK Ultra. And when I've, I've I've read about this and I've watched videos about this and and I'd heard about it, never to to the extent of what you described. But a lot of people say that oh, that's just conspiracy theory and or, or whatever the propaganda machine puts out, right? Um, I, I, I believe that it's a real thing, um, but I don't, all I know is what I've seen and what I've heard and what I've read about it. You have firsthand experience in this. What exactly, what exactly is it? Well, MKUltra is not a conspiracy theory. It's um, a lot of people think that that means mind control, ultra secret or something in German, but that would be Bewusstseinkontrolle, and it's not, it's Mein Kampf. And the ultra, that's the MK, and the ultra is a German word, which means top secret. So it is a program that uh, came out of the Nuremberg trials, you know, in after World War II, um, the Germans, the British and the Russians rounded up all the scientists that had been doing psychological experiments in the concentration camps where the Nazis really had unlimited uh, test subjects to try all these experiments on and no regard for human rights. So uh, they couldn't let that go to waste. So the three countries gathered up over a million documents each about these programs and they, get, they basically 
detain hundreds of these Nazi scientists. And while the Nuremberg trials were going on, which actually only involved uh, highly publicized trials of 12 Nazis who were supposedly hung, maybe they were, maybe they weren't, um, behind the scenes, a whole team of, of uh, operatives were screening the Nazi scientists and arranging for them in, in the case of the United States, arranging them uh, for them to come to the United States, get new identities and uh, start programs. So they barely missed a beat. And um, as, as an interesting aside, all those records were kept in the Murtaugh building. And are, if you're familiar with that, that's the building in Oklahoma City that was bombed. And um, so the, the records, I, I imagine the records were destroyed. But uh, in my family's case, I had an uncle and three great uncles who were German speaking OSS agents. And those are this, that's the precursor to the CIA, the Office of Strategic Services. And uh, they were in Nuremberg and their job was to um, select the Nazis that the Americans wanted and to bring them to the US and give them new identities, which they did. And that project, there's some excellent books written about it. It's called Project Paperclip. And uh, probably 1500 scientists were brought to the US and given new identities. I don't know how many went into mind control, but they did. And uh, out of the Nuremberg trials, there, there came the Nuremberg Code, which declared that it was against international law for uh, any nation to submit um, test subjects to experimentation against their will. And that lasted three years in, the, in terms of the United States. And John Foster Dulles in 1953, so that was like maybe five years after the Nuremberg Code was adopted, he, did, he broke the code basically and uh, approved a program of um, MK Ultra mind control to be run by his by the CIA, run and funded by the CIA, his brother Alan Dulles. And um, the experiments began on hundreds of unwitting test subjects in the US and Canada and unknown numbers of children. And the first, the Nazis had planned, and if you read the, the last part of Mein Kampf, one of their key objectives was to have a, an elite um, uh, group, uh, cadre, they called it, cadre of slaves, that would be placed into high positions of power all over the world. So in, in academia, in media, in government, and uh, in education at all levels. And this cadre of, they called them slaves, would carry out the, the edicts of Mein Kampf. And uh, that's pretty much exactly what's happened. So the, the, uh, first, the, first volunteer, the first children that were put into that program were often the children of high intelligence operatives or government people or military. And so that was my case. I had four uncles doing Project Paperclip and they were all very high up in, the, in rank. And uh, so they put myself and some other cousins of mine, all, all the firstborn girls seem to be put into these programs. And that's how I got into that program. And so 
when I wrote Sparky, I, I tried to give the perspective of what it was like from the inside. You know, investigators can look at it from the outside. You, you, as soon as this is accepted, widely accepted that MKUltra is a real thing, this really happened, and uh, it's affecting everything that's going on today, then, then, then you need to go on the inside to see how to solve it. So I'm interested in how do you solve it? How do you, how do you correct these things that have been done to people? And um, so this went on for under the radar for about 20 years. And then in 1976, uh, Senator Frank Church held a series of hearings called the Church Commission. And he brought, uh, he brought uh, therapists, doctors, politicians, people from the CIA who had been involved in this program and determined that, uh, what was it, like 80 universities and hospitals, university hospitals, 80 had participated in mind control programs over the 20 years, you can imagine how many victims that meant. Um, 145 separate private contractors did mind control projects that involved drugs, torture, sexual abuse, physical abuse, uh, separation, in the case of children, isolation and separation. Um, and uh, but before the church commission could subpoena the documents, the CIA destroyed all of them. Of course. Yes. They were using the what, what's, you know, who cares now kind of, kind of thing. They apologized, said they'd never do it again and then continued doing it. And uh, by that time I was, I was out of it. I had escaped when I was 17 and um, had gone on to become a, a physician, a mother, uh, an inventor, a um, an entrepreneur in Seattle. You know, it was the it was the early '80s when it was the Bill Gates, Paul Allen, um, mm-hmm. the Costco, Schultz, uh, the the crowd of 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 the technocracy which has developed. They were all there, and so it was quite a crowd to be running in. But I had no memory at all of anything that had happened to me before the beginning of college. So, uh, so that that was my that's the very short summary of of what that was and how it impacted me. And uh, but I, I I have to talk about it because yeah. I see the programming in in what people are saying now. This this stubborn adherence that that people like from the NIH. You listen to the talk; mm-hmm. they make no sense at all what they're doing is as destructive to themselves as it is to, to everyone else. And yet at the same time, you've got the CERN Hadron Collider churning away, looking for the God particle and trying to find a way off the earth for when men become cyborgs and supermen and go fight God. It's all in Mein Kampf. Wow. <laughs> Which so, sounds, it, it's, it's insane, but we're stuck right. with this insanity. We've got to get this out of us. And out of this, out of our world. Well, mo- mo- I mean, doctor, most people, I don't think could fathom or even begin to process the, the terrible experience that, that you had. Um, would, would, would you mind walking us through just what, 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 how did this program affect you? What happened to you? Well, let's say I was six years old when my father took me to a park and basically sold me, to, it was to someone he knew, 
my father was also an operative and uh so this this person drugged me with a with a uh drugged coca-cola and when i woke up i was being raped and huh. they made they made me watch this man pay my father they made my father watch and when i screamed out to them he said well this is what i raised you for and uh that was it i never trusted him again so i never called him daddy again i always called him father and uh and then after that i was taken to a series of of what they called annexes and this is where they did the the experimentation which involved uh lots of drugs and abuse and um i had a room in the annex that looked just like the room in my home, except that the wallpaper was a different color. I mean, so, so my childhood was just totally dystopian. It had the same toys were in both places, except one set was pink and one set was blue, but I was supposed to accept that they were the same. So I'm sure this is all part of the, of the mind control manipulation. And then uh, the physical abuse is what makes you crack into different different dissociated personalities, which is very well described in people who've been through mind control. Um, you, you survive by when it becomes too much in one personality, you split into another one and then lose track of the first one. So that, and that's the process for remembering. It's why people don't remember. Um, they don't want to remember. And so, so you mentioned that you had no memory. Do you think in some strange way that not remembering helped you cope? And you know, could you have been able to go to med school and become a mother knowing all that in your childhood? And maybe that in some strange way that actually helped you, right? Oh, it was a, it was a definitely, in my case, it was a real coping mechanism. Right. In other people's cases, it makes them schizophrenic. Uh, for me, it was, it was completely helpful it, until I hit the wall, I, I had my daughter and I was holding this tiny little infant in my hands and she looked just like me. And I was just terrified, terrified. Something awful was gonna happen to her. And, and so, you know, I, as a mother, you start looking back at your own childhood and thinking, you know, well, what did my parents do? And, and I couldn't remember my parents. And um, uh, it, it was, a, it was a, a crazy making experience. And, and I was afraid for her with the people around me. And the people around me were the future technocrats of, of uh, you know, Google and, and Microsoft and Adobe and Starbucks. And, you know, these were the people in my, in my uh, world. And I was suddenly terrified of them for her. And uh, so then I started the process of, of uh, I don't have, have the drawing i i drew a drawing about what was happening inside of myself and took it to a psychiatrist that i trusted and if he said and asked him if i was crazy and uh, if he said yes i would have killed myself and that's part of the programming too and that's why so few people are able to come forward and talk about this because when you start to remember and when you start talking you you are programmed to take a ride on what they call the freedom train 
And uh, that comes right out of the 60s. And but that's that's where I was. And uh, Freedom Train is this is this jangly um, psychedelic train with the music playing really loud and lots of LSD, you know, little blotter papers of LSD all over the floor. It's probably someplace I'd been, but um, you'd ride the freedom train and, and you kill yourself. And I would have done that, but he, he'd known me a long time, which is why I'd gone to him. And he told me, hey, Juliet, uh, you're a hyperachiever. You don't have a good sense of your own limitations. And he listed some other things which were quite true. And then he said, no, nah, you're not crazy. And, uh, but he didn't know anything about MK Ultra. He knew there was something really wrong because uh, he wanted me to remember my parents and I couldn't remember my mother at all. And uh, we spent the next several years picking out pieces and uh, it, I worked at it really hard and it became manageable. So all these different pieces and blocks in different places started to make sense, but I had no feeling about it. I had no emotion attached to any of these people or places or events. And that all came much, much later. And when you get to the end of, end of Sparky, mm -hmm. I go back to, to um, a place where I'd lived on the Mexican border and uh, where I'd been used as a, as a drug mule. And uh, basically we lived in a apartment complex, which was a, a brothel. And uh, I was going into puberty and I knew I had to make some really big decisions because my life was not going in a good way. And uh, so I made some big changes. This is back when I was 10 years old and I, then 50 years later, I went back to that same place, that same uh, apartment complex, and this, this wasteland between uh, the very edge of San Diego and, and uh, Tijuana. And between there is the, is the Tijuana sewer, which is where uh, a bunch of kids and I used to play. And the smells and the sights and, the, and the, just the way the air felt and the, brought back the emotion. And it wasn't awful. I, I thought when the emotion come, it came, it would be overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And it wasn't. It was, uh, I felt a great sense of relief. You felt a sense of relief? Yes. And the interesting thing after that is that uh, I tried for years to read the Bible, but I couldn't. Absolutely couldn't. I'm a doctor. I'm a voracious reader. I'm a writer. I, I read everything. I can read mm -hmm. in Russian, French, and English. But I couldn't read the Bible. Couldn't read it. I would always try to read it backwards. The words would kind of start moving. I was obviously programmed not to read it. And uh, a very dear friend of mine took three years and read every word to me. As I, as I followed along. And that way I was able to identify the, the, uh, the other Bible. So, you know, you've got these, you've got Christians who think they're Christians, but actually they've gone through some kind of programming and they're programmed to the other Bible. There's another Bible. What's the, the, what's the other Bible? Well, the other Bible is, is the uh, man as God's Bible. 
So it, they call it the, the other Bible. And, and uh, well, for instance, I grew up thinking that when the Bible said that Jesus said, suffer the little children, that meant that little children had to suffer. And that's what we were taught. That, that and we were also taught that, that Jesus was a demon and was the serpent in the Garden of Eden and was a, actually a, an Egyptian god who can, Eos, which represented the earth. This <laughs> is just coming to me now. And traveled also in the form of a goat, a, a, a hermaphroditic human goat god called Mendes, M-E-N-D-I-E-S. So Mendes and Eos were the, um, were the entities that created the ministry of Melchizedek. See how crazy, this is just all. That's, I've never heard this. <laughs> I really haven't. So. Well, it's nuts. It's crazy. But you will find it. I, I think you'll find it. If you look for Eos and Mendes, um, I'd look it up right now. But that that's yeah. the other Bible. The point is that Jesus is a demon and um, one of many demons. And that, uh, that God is one of many creators and that humans can replace God's. Anyway, it's it's wow. my poor my poor devoted Christian friend who had to sit through me going, "Wow, that's not what this means." <laughs> so I was so grateful that she did that, and uh, I think the Bible is the most amazing book I've ever read. I mean, that things that are in there that were so relevant thousands of years ago are equally relevant now, and. Uh, so that that was a, a very positive thing came right out of the my sudden ability to feel about the about the past. How impactful was reading the Bible? That how did how did that complement or trigger your ability to start remembering? Was that the catalyst? No, that came at the end. Actually, it came at the end. okay. It it uh, the ability to read the Bible had I had to get the other one out. Mm -hmm. But I worked at it. I work at things. As my psychiatrist said, I'm a hyperachiever. Mm -hmm. and, and I spent hours every day getting this stuff out of my mind. And, and it took outside help from people who had no real understanding of, of why I was even struggling with this. <laughs> my friend would right. say, why do you believe these things? I, said, I don't believe these things. They're just stuck in my head. But uh, I if you aren't me and you aren't i got out at 17 and that's mm -hmm. crucial too because uh my i was either going to be a, a honey pot which was the sex magic program which is what they had me in mm -hmm. or i was going to kill myself or um i could enter like a fast track into government but they would have to take my soul if i was going to live i had to give up my soul and this is why you've got people giving testimony in Congress who are saying just stupid, insane things, but can't seem to say anything different. You know, it's stuck in their heads and they're, they're, not, making, they're not making sense. 
but they get all the rewards. You know, they get the money, they get the prestige, they get the the media coverage, and um, that's that's all they have. At, at what point during this experience were you faced with that decision? Because it sounds like that is indeed right. You, you are faced with a decision. Are you willing to give up your soul? I mean, as much as a, I'm a believer in Christ and God, that just seems so so foreign to to even think that somebody would do that. But I I, I get it. You what you went through and the the the, the pain and everything. Um, at what point were you faced with that choice? Well, repeatedly, but at the age of 17 and, and uh, when they really take over every aspect of your life, then, then you either give up your soul and you're tremendously rewarded. I mean, I could have gone to any university, wouldn't have had to work. Um, uh, would have had the rich and famous lifestyle and uh or i give up my soul and i wasn't about to do that so my third alternative was to escape and i did manage to escape and um, i put myself got myself into the university of washington got a job typing autopsies in the basement of the university hospital big stinking eight foot pile <laughs> of autopsies nobody wanted to touch so I did him and uh, went to school and went to medical school, probably because of, of my autopsy experience. And, um, and that's, that's by the grace of God. I have no, no doubt about it at all. So, that, so uh, was, was there a lot of people, obviously there was people around you that were part of this programming. How did you escape it? Well, I was, uh, um, I was a pretty teenage girl with hair down to my knees and, and a very short skirt. And, and, uh, if you, if you listen to the mamas and papas, do you ever do you listen mm -hmm. yeah. to them? The song, young girls are coming to the Canyon. If you may, young girls are mm -hmm. coming to the Canyon. They would drive dozens of young girls from this program into the canyons and and it would be laurel canyon or topanga canyon or tabruca canyon or el toro there's a lot of canyons or um in half half of half of a summer i was in a canyon uh running around dancing and and doing uh, they called us the freaks They'd drive us up to parties. And our, our job as pretty young girls was to get people that they wanted to blackmail to molest us or um, get them really drunk and, and compromised and naked on the ground. And, and uh, then they would be taking photos. And I knew they were doing that, but um, I didn't have a choice. And so I would be drugged up too. But as part of that, I was at a place called Murphy Hot Springs up in, uh, where is that? Oh, up near Monterey. Mm -hmm. And uh, we were doing the same thing. They were flying in uh, record executives and trying to sell them uh, music. So they had live bands playing 
and some good musicians like John Phillips was there and and um, others that, that are still alive, so I won't mention them. And uh, doing the same thing, they had pretty girls like me doing backup singing and banging on a tambourine and then passing out blotters of LSD and, and getting them into compromising positions. And when they were all, but I wasn't doing anything, when, when they were all really drunk, I went outside and uh, saw a car drive in to the compound. The compound was all walled off. And uh, the guy in the car was so stoned, he just drove right into a, uh, the side of a fountain and with the motor running. So I took my chance and took the car, but I, I couldn't get him out. So I had to take him too. So he was passed out in the passenger seat. And I got out and drove all the way up to Grants Pass, Oregon. And um, here's another God thing. I had no money, I had no shoes. I uh, didn't have a purse, I had a little mini skirt on. And um, I found that I looked around the car and I found he'd been selling blotters of LSD all around Monterey and getting a lot of money. So there's a big wad of bills in his glove compartment. So I took that and um, his car was full of green stamps. I don't know if you're old enough to have heard of green stamps, but when you bought gasoline in California, you used to get green stamps, actually all over the West Coast. And you get books, when you save them up, you get books, you can get luggage and clothes and towels and all kinds of stuff. So I went off to college with um, a roll of drug money and uh, probably 50 books of green stamps. <laughs> and I bought everything I needed for school with that and uh, got my job typing autopsies. Of course, it's more complicated than all that, and it's in Sparky, sure. but, um, and erased my memory. As soon as I walked into the University of Washington, I was a new person. I, I was dressed up like the co-eds. I knew what they looked like, so I got those kind of clothes. I started right away studying uh, like mad, knowing that was my future, and forgot everything. So no memory before that. Complete blank. Wow. And yes, that's what helped me go forward. Wow. Um, and then at some point, you started to remember. Well, I had to. I had to right. work. And yeah, I had to work at it. And uh, I've been approached by a number of people who think they've been in programs and uh, they talk about not being able to remember large sections of their lives and then talking about the problems they have because they obviously have the identity disorder, but they're not schizophrenic. So they're always getting diagnosed as schizophrenic, but actually they have uh, separate identities. They've been programmed that way. So um, I know what it takes to begin dissecting, dissecting this out and, and getting rid of this, this worm that's inside your mind. But uh, I don't know how many people will be able to do it. How, how, how prevalent do you believe this is? How, how many people do you think have been subject to this? I think uh, hundreds. And uh, there were there were several 
different classes of people. Like um, one of the things they made us do was uh, shoot uh, snuff movies. You know what snuff movies are. It's where people are actually killed. Mm -hmm. And and, uh, they did this in a place called uh, Outlook Mountain. It's re- yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that's it. Outlook Mountain. It, it, uh, it's an interesting place. It's up in the hills above Los Angeles. And uh, it actually, it has a film studio in the basement. And that's where they made uh, uh, propaganda films for the Nazis. And they, the whole complex, this whole walled complex was supposed to be where Hitler would live after World War II, when he came to the United States. No bones about it. There was Nazi stuff all over the place. And uh, so they used us in the studio that was downstairs and uh, had, us, had us engage in, in uh, shooting fights. And, and the kids that would die were always the Mexican kids. So they, they would bring in immigrants just like they're doing now and use them for the snuff films. And then I don't know what, but um, for a long time, I thought I'd actually shot other kids. Then later when I learned how to shoot a gun, I realized, no, (laughs) no way. An eight-year-old kid couldn't, couldn't possibly do that. But that's the kind of thing they did to you. I mean, it was just twisted, horrible, stuff so kidnapping kids and bringing them across the border was is nothing new and the fact that all these unaccompanied kids are coming over the border just makes me sick just so concerned for what's happening to them and i'm sure it's nothing good wow um that's a, I, 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 you know you hear about some of these things and you know, snuff films, things like that. You don't think that that's really what's going on or really could happen. Um, and so, you know, these, these, gosh, these kids, you're right, because there's so many people coming across the border right now. And a lot of them yeah, are no are control. They're getting, no, there's zero control. So my gosh, that's, that's absolutely, uh, my, that's hard to even think about. Um, well, you have but, to not unprotected Vulnerable children are completely helpless. You know, if they don't have a parent looking out for them, nothing good is going to happen. No. And and that's exactly what's happening uh, at massive levels. I mean, is, do you, do you think that that's why our government is so adamant about just having people flood across these borders? I mean, does, does the evil run that deep? Yes. Oh, yes, Absolutely. Without a doubt. Now, Doctor, you um, you you eventually found your way to Russia. Yeah. Um, and you you begin working on helping sex trafficking victims. So obviously, this is was happening and still is, right? Which um, I want to get your take on that as well. But can you describe that experience and just just the the things that went well and things that perhaps didn't go so well in that experience for you when you were in Russia? Well, the, I was invited to Russia as a, I was a radiologist 
and uh, ultrasound specialist. So I was invited to come and uh, visit their maternity hospitals. So in 1990, I was the first American physician to go into the Russian maternity hospitals and see what was happening there. And it was just ghastly. It was so awful. You know, I, I couldn't, um, the way women were treated, the way infants were treated, the way uh, uh, everything was filthy. And, and uh, anyway, that's, that's in Sparky. <laughs> you could read about that. It's also mm -hmm. in, in Angels Over Moscow. But um, I couldn't let it go. And for years, I was going back and forth, bringing American scientists and doctors to uh, Russia to teach at this second medical institute and bringing Russian doctors to the United States. Um, so I was going back and forth for about 10 years. And um, after a while, I realized that uh, about a third of the babies born in the Russian birth houses were abandoned at birth. And I wanted to know where they were going. And they were going into uh, baby houses, which are orphanages for infants. And uh, then after three years, they would be transferred to uh, orphanages for three to seven years. And then after that, from seven to 17, and then just let go. And uh, uh, when I was visiting orphanages, the orphanages are out of the cities mostly, so it's not so easy to get to. So. Um, as I was working in Russia and getting in more of the rural areas, um, I started working with some of the orphanages and bringing relief to the orphanages and organizing tours of Americans to cruise on the Russian rivers, which is pretty wonderful. And they would all bring gifts for the orphanages. So we, we, we supplied every summer, we would supply tons of medical equipment, clothing and, and uh, school supplies to orphanages all up and down the Volga River. And I started realizing that girls were disappearing, that a group of girls would be there one summer, I'd come back in the winter and they'd all be gone. And uh, I realized that, uh, or I got the story out of the other kids that buses would come and take the girls and they'd go to Finland. And um, the kids thought this was great. They thought that, uh, you know, it, whatever it was, wherever they were going had to be better than where they were but I didn't think that sounded so good. So um, I took a bus from Murmansk to Kirkenes, Murmansk in Northern Norway, which is uh, where I traced the buses. The buses were all going to Murmansk. And then from there, they were crossing the border in, into Norway. So I followed them on a bus and uh, it's a four hour ride from Murmansk to Kirkenes. And I was the only American they'd seen up there on that border <laughs> for a very long time. And uh, when I got to Kirkenes, I started, went right to the police and uh, asked where the girls were. And this young police officer opened a drawer and he had a, a drawer full of Polaroid pictures of children, dead children's faces. And he said, well, take a look, are they in here? And I was just, I was so shocked and so floored. I couldn't, I couldn't even touch them. I was just horrified. And, and there were so many. And uh, 
so I, I had to leave. I vomited, I think, in his wastebasket and had to leave and came back the next day. And then a higher ranking person was there and claimed there weren't any pictures. So I'd missed an opportunity. I should have taken the pictures, but I don't know. I was just, I was overwhelmed by that. So I asked him, he said, well, the girls are coming here. I know they're coming on the buses. They don't come back. What's happening to them? And uh, he said they were finding, you know, the bodies of children every day. And they were all buried in a, in a common grave and they were all called Natasha. And, uh, and he said, if, if they find one alive, of course they help, but most, mostly they don't. So, you know, you can't let that stand. So, oh, um, that's how I launched uh, a campaign to first to uh, find out the extent of trafficking in Russia, in that region of Russia, which wound up extending the, the study that I did wound up extending to the 17 former republics. We got all of them. We got almost a million, not a million pieces of data from like 3000 respondents through a, a a process that's in, in Angels Over Moscow was quite something. So we got definitive information on how many children were disappearing and uh, uh, what nationality they were. And um, later began to get information on where they were going and where they were being trafficked to. And certainly they were being trafficked into Scandinavia, but they were also being trafficked into the United States. And in fact, that became clear that that was one of the more common um, destinations. Now, whether they really got there or not, you'd have to study from the other side. And I couldn't do that. Do that at that time. We had uh, funding from the uh, several different uh, U.S. agencies who were interested in knowing about the human trafficking in Russia. But as soon as I brought the information to the State Department and said. Hey guys, you know, these kids are coming to America. We were shut out. I mean, absolutely shut out. In in the middle of a huge public information campaign all over Western Russia, that uh, kind of thing that it was a civil rights movement starting in Russia, that something that had never been done before. And they tried to stop it. They, they tried to stop us, they being the American embassy. They tried and, to, uh, the American embassy tried to stop you from saving children? Yes. And from informing the Russian public that this human trafficking was going on. They couldn't do it. We worked around it. it the the, the um, information campaign went off and we had parades. We had huge me international media coverage. We had national media coverage. Um, it was an enormous success. And then the U.S. embassy just shut us out and started undermining our programs. And I, and I couldn't understand why. And I, I'm just sure it has to do with the fact that at that, at that point, uh, the US was putting out, and still is, puts out a trafficking in persons report, the TIP report. Mm -hmm. And uh, it lists the US, they have categories. You know, I can't, one is the best and three is the worst. 
And uh, the U.S. was always held there as one, you know, no human trafficking, no problem in that regard. And um, of course, Russia was put as number three, is a third tier country, because mm -hmm. it, did, it did have a problem. It admitted it before the U.S. did. And um, uh, I, I just don't think they wanted us publicizing that that was happening. And uh, we continue to get funds from other countries, but uh, the U.S. and private groups in the U.S. and certainly church groups, tremendous support from, from churches. And you could always go to churches and raise, uh, get donations and help and volunteers and um, but the U.S. didn't. State Department did not want to hear about trafficking. And I realized when I was talking to them, because they they had a an office set up through the FBI and the Department of Homeland Security within the embassy. And I talked to these people all the time. But as soon as I brought that up, that you know, you've got a problem. People are being. I I also had documentation that. Uh, they were being flown into Chicago, flown into New York, flown into uh, Seattle. No, nope, didn't want to hear about it. <laughs> do, do you think that was because of the image they wanted to portray the United States or because of their involvement? I think uh, some were involved. And I think as time's gone, time has gone on, um, they're still involved. I had no idea at the time. And uh, others are just others. It is a, an image problem, so you can't you, you know you can't cover everybody with one brush. Mm -hmm. But it wouldn't be happening, and it wouldn't be happening now if you didn't have the very highest level of people who are letting it happen because it's our government doing human trafficking. Well, it's 2021, Doctor. In I know, I think I know what your answer is going to be to this, but does sex trafficking and Satan worshiping and MK Ultra still exist? Absolutely. It's still going on. And uh, the internet has made it all worse, I think, because it's made it easier for criminals. Um, the crim criminal gangs from Russia went international and uh, they're here. Um, how do you think social media and the internet makes it, how does that help them, you think? It helps them move, move people more easily. Uh, they can communicate more easily. And uh, they use, uh, it's not Bitcoin, it's uh, internet money. Oh, crypto, cryptocurrency, like is it cryptocurrency or is it? No, it's, um, it's more like PayPal, not, oh not that it is PayPal, sure, but it's that sure, kind of sure. system where you can put money into someone's account. I from, see, like a PayPal or Venmo or something like that. Yeah, where they gotcha. could just pull it out the other side and there's barely any record it's because you're putting it into someone's account for mm -hmm. furniture or something. So um, that started up around the year in the 2000s. As soon as there was internet, it became a huge business in Moscow. And, uh, you know, like everything, half of it's legitimate and half of it is smuggling and human trafficking. Uh, who, who, who are the key players? Uh, 
Well, I don't think I can go into that. Okay. Because uh, I can't be absolutely sure for one thing. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But I think you can figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, obviously, we're seeing what's happening in things like Hollywood and the, you know, the entertainment industry. And you, you know, you, you see, you know, these, some of these, even these artists and these symbols that they flash and, you know, I, they all do it, you know, and yeah, so and not, I mean, I say all, I don't, I mean to say all, but you just see a lot of consistency and not only behavior, but also in just some of the things, symbolic things. Um, is that one of the things that people should be aware of is the symbolic, the symbolism of some of this stuff. And is that how, is that a way to detect when something's not going, when something's not right? I know that, that there's symbols that are used and hand gestures and, and, uh, I could flash a few, but I won't. Mm -hmm. And, um, uh, that's the way they identify each other. Just like the the mason handshakes and mm -hmm. unless unless you knew what that meant it wouldn't mean anything yeah but you certainly see the nambla symbols around the triangle that means uh, pedophilia mm -hmm. and uh you see that everywhere well, once you know what to look for um and certainly anyone trying to normalize pedophilia you gotta wonder about about them and their involvement but just just flat out without even knowing uh specific names the fact that what forty thousand unaccompanied children have come over the border and disappeared and they've been flown on u.s government planes all over the country and picked up by who knows who knows what for what purpose nothing good that's human trafficking carried out by the u.s government who's paying for this who's paying for them what's happening to them and and i talked to people at the red pill expo and mm -hmm. some of those some of those um it was a group of women from uh wisconsin or michigan that were trying to follow when these planes come in what happens where do these kids go what happens to them really? and they think they think they've found a place an abandoned church where they're being kept in a basement and they're like they went to the sheriff and and um so that's that's an ongoing thing so and i i warn them it's extremely dangerous be very careful they'll go mm -hmm. in there without law enforcement and make sure it's law enforcement you trust right um and when we did the trafficking rescues and operations all over Russia and the former Soviet Union. We always did it with trusted law enforcement because you can always find good law enforcement. I mean, there's very good people in there, but uh, probably the first people person that you run into that comes smiling right at you is not. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The, thankfully, there's a lot of good constitutional sheriffs out there. Yeah, oh, I, I think, think that I think the sheriffs are going to save this country. I think so too. Well, my gosh, I, how do we stop how, I, this? You're, I agree with you. Whenever there's kids involved, I'm sorry, all nothing else matters. It really doesn't. Um, and how do we how, how do we stop this? This has been going on for so long, and it sounds based on your testimony and based on what you're telling us, this is still rampant. And that, and you hear about this through different circles of people and um, different people that you trust. How do you stop it? 
well, you've got to, you've got to clean out the, the swamp. I mean, that sounds like a, a kind of like a hackneyed phrase now, but that's who's doing this. You've got a, you've got a state within a state that, that profits from this and profits from these trades and it's been feeding off the government. You make the population aware mm-hmm. and you you uh, make them care. If the population remains unaware and doesn't care, they're all gonna get victimized because they're like helpless children. So uh, people have to take responsibility for their own neighborhoods. And I think that's why this, uh, the Kyle Rittenhouse trial is so critical. Here's a young, brave young man who took responsibility for his own neighborhood. And now they're going to make a, they're going to try to make a martyr out of him. And uh, that's pretty crucial how that goes. But it's, it's the same problem. It's the same, same situation. And uh, I think uh, first thing, People should stop vaccinating their own kids. Yeah. You know, why can't we stop that? It's, it's, I mean, I mean, um, my, the school that my kids did go to, I say not anymore, but, um, the ones they did go to back home, um, in Michigan, um, it's a vaccination center for kids. Now they're, they said any kid from five to 12 or five, five years old, to you know, high school age can go there, get their vaccine there. Yeah, I think I read this morning that we're about 2 million kids so far have been vaccinated in the last two weeks. That's just, that's all the same thing. It's institutionalized governmental child's abuse and sacrifice. I think they do know what it's going to do to these kids. And Mm -hmm. I think they're doing it on purpose. Yeah, and it's amazing to me that there's so many people that are just, and these are people that I would deem to be very intelligent very good in most ways, um, unwilling to accept that this might not be the best thing, A, to put your own body and B, to put it in a child. I mean, this is, this is madness. If you think about it, it's, it's Mike and I talked about this a lot. This is crazy. It's not, it's not about partisanship anymore. It's not about Republican and Democrat. That's, that's gone. This is crazy versus not crazy. (laughs) And, yes. and, and unfortunately, you can identify crazy now when, when, they're, when, when you try to talk to somebody about this logically, their eyes get big and they get angry. It's like, <laughs> wait a minute, why are you so upset? Why are you so attached to what these bureaucrats are saying? Why do you believe them? Since when have they told the truth? I mean, honestly, well, since when has any politician actually sat up there and told the truth about anything? Well, there you've got evil staring you in the face. What they're doing to children, these children, is flat out evil. How, I mean, how, what other explanation can you come up with? Mm-mm. How can it be any more clear? So, yeah, it's a big challenge and people have to be willing to see evil. And yeah. it's not pleasant. And it's, it's uh, easier to believe in the... Uh, I like the description of the television screen, the black mirror, <laughs> you know, cast the spell with the black mirror. Mm-hmm. Well, you talk about programming. I mean, programming. Yeah. Right. I mean, that's literally what it's called, right? Here's programs. Here's a, you know, 
And there, there was a documentary that came out a while back that really opened my eyes. I don't know if you've seen this, but it was, uh, I think it's called Out of, Out of Shadows, Out right? Of Shadows, yeah. Oh, um, yeah, yeah. And I tell you, I watched that and it, 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 it already knew something was majorly wrong. But when I saw that, it just validated, yeah, what we were thinking is right. You know, that this is really hell, this stuff's really happening and it's not made up and it's as bad or worse that we could possibly imagine. And again, I know that we're, we're talking about things that aren't good, but people just have to wake up. And I don't know how to scream it any louder than continuing to do what we're doing and have, having brave, great people like you come on and share your testimony. Because if we don't wake up soon, what's going to be left of, of freedom? And how do you save kids if you're not a free society and you're not free to do things anymore? It's going to get worse yeah. before it gets better if that happens. And I guess I, and I know I don't know we've, we're, we're running up against our time uh, with you, but um, is there anything that you would like to leave our audience with? Is there anything that you would like to say to them directly um, that might help them in some way to contribute in, in a positive light to, to, I guess, I don't know, stop this imbalance? People need to realize that evil exists. It's right in front of us. It's in our communities. It could be in the, you know, the people that you know. They might not know they're doing evil things, but uh, I don't have the answers as to how you fix something. I, I think God has to fix it. Mm -hmm. But as you say, it doesn't mean we sit around and go, oh, right. help us, help us. No, I... After um, after reading Jonah, the story of Jonah, that really resonated with me because I didn't really want to come out and talk about all this. I didn't have to. Mm -hmm. um, I could have taken a job with, uh, you know, in the state bar. I could still go back in. I could I could have the bling. I can't do that. I just can't do that. It's uh, it's all wrong. It's it's time to come out. And, and that's the Lord saying, no, you're not going to Tarshish. You're going to Nineveh and you're going to tell those people that they've been really bad and <laughs> yep. if they don't clean up their acts. So in that story, you know, we're going, oh, how can we make them see it? How can Well, he did make them see it because the Lord wanted them to see it. And, uh, you know, I hope that's where we are. We don't know until we try it. You just have to uh, have faith in the Lord, but take action. What do they say? Praise the Lord, but pass the ammunition. You know? Yep. Yep. Or it reminds we, me of the story of the man's on the roof and the flood oh, yeah. is going to kill him. And he prays to God to save him. And a guy comes in a canoe and, hey, I can jump in a canoe. And the guy says, no, God will save me. And the guy, so the guy floats away. And then the, the boat mm -hmm. comes up. And the guy goes, get on the boat. And the guy goes, no, God will save me. And so, he goes away and then the helicopter comes and the guy goes, get on the helicopter. He goes, no, God will save me. So the guy drowns. He goes, God, what the hell? I, I was asking, I sent you the boat and the canoe and the, and the right. helicopter. Right. Yeah, yeah, what's wrong with you? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it's the same thing. You know, yeah. God's, God's giving us the tools. We have to, we have to act. Yep. Yep. hundred uh, percent. Yeah. Think of this. I mean, we're sitting in our respective places, states apart mm -hmm. and talking about all this. Yep. You know, what a gift. What if we Tre couldn't do this? Tremendous. We would be yeah. we would be sitting ducks. We'd be and, we'd uh, have a long drive. <laughs> <Come out laughs> to right. see you. <laughs> Smoke signals. You know? Right, exactly. 
No, we have great communications tools. Mm. We have uh, language. We do have the international connections. That's something they've tried to, to deliberately cut off. So I really do want to do a red pill uh, yeah. expo in Russia, you know, and really get an international discussion going about the soul, the mm. condition of the human soul, because it's, it's the soul that has the, the power to defeat all of this, not your mind. Your mind will never defeat it. Right. I think minds are wishy-washy and easily influenced and, you know, but your soul, that's rock solid. That's, that's your connection to God. So my, my work now will be on, on uh, building, building that relationship and, and studying the condition of the human soul. But I, I need to work with people who can investigate from the outside. So, um, we're, I think we're doing this. Mm -hmm. I think we're, you guys are doing the right thing. I, I certainly am uh, trying everything I can. And um, Red Pill Expo is a great place to, I think any of your listeners, I, I hope you uh, tell them about it. And Yeah, I think, that's, uh, that's, I think we may have mentioned that a uh, hundred times or so. <laughs> 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 because uh, quite honestly, um, if, if, you know, we're not sitting here talking to you right now, if we don't go out there and hear you or your story firsthand and gravitate to wanting to sit down with you and having dinner and you so graciously saying, of course, you can sit down and eat with us. And that was really, um, I want to thank you for that because, you know, uh, this is obviously, this is the most important thing I think that we could be doing right now. Like I said, when you involve children, yeah, I'm sorry. It's God's very specific about this in the Bible. You don't mess with kids. And, and that's what's happening right now. And that, that is pure evil. There's nothing that can be said about it. There's nothing that you can do to say or do to justify it. It's pure no. evil. No. And, um, and people need to be held accountable for that evil. And of course, God's going to do that. That's not necessarily up to us, but we must act. And um, I, I, I can't thank you enough for being on. Where, where, Doctor, where can people find more information about your efforts, about how to support your efforts, how to learn more about some of the things that you've experienced, um, and, and then what you're doing ongoing? Well, I have two books. I, I don't know if you can show the graphic that I sent you, I sent you a graphic of the two books. Yep. We, and we will certainly, we'll, we will, um, we're going to put a link to those in the description um, Great. so that people can click on that. Um, your website as well. Um, okay. I, yeah. And, if they can get to my website, they can actually then from there, get into the Miramed archives mm -hmm. and see all the studies and everything we did in Russia. There's thousands of documents on, on what, uh, what was done. And that's, and that's www.juliettengel.com, www.juliettengel.com, correct? Exactly, yes. Okay, so we are going to put that in a link in the description as, as well as links to where they can find your book. Now, where do you want people to find your book if, if they so choose to, to, to buy those and read them? What's the best place to go? Well, if they go to my website, they can go from there either to mm -hmm. Amazon or to my publisher's page and pay with PayPal. Okay. So, and then I think there's a link to Barnes and Noble there as well. So if they get to the website, they can get everywhere. Is there including... anything? Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. 
I was just going to say, uh, you were, you were going to about to say somewhere else, right? I was going to do it. it. You, you were about to say with the somewhere else they could find it besides. The... Oh, no, no. It's good. Best to go to the website because then you get okay. the, the history. And from there, you can get into the archives and and see all the information about the trafficking and the and the reports and the conferences. And the no, this was an effort that mm -hmm. involved thousands of people to organize the Angel Coalition. And uh, all of that is described in Angels Over Moscow. Gotcha. Well, um... Dr. Engel, thanks again. Thank you for your time, your testimony. Um, God bless you, really. Just Thank God you. bless you. God bless everybody out there listening tonight. God bless we the people of this great nation, because I think it's up to us. Um, other countries are looking at us right now going, when are you guys going to do something? I think. Yeah, when are you going to get your act together? Yeah, this when is are you ridiculous. Get your act together, right? And um, so, like I said, God bless we the people of this great country. And um, until next time, be very well, doctor. Great to see you, and I hope to see you soon. Good. I'd love to. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye.